Escape Pod 161 June 5th, 2008 Today's story, Alien Promises, by Jenny Lee Simner Hello and welcome to Escape Pod. I'm Steve Ely. Something different this week, we have a young adult science fiction story. We're pleased to present Alien Promises by Janie Lee Simner. Ms. Simner lives in Arizona and has appeared on Escape Pod and Pseudopod several times, as far back as Escape Pod number three. She has dozens of stories out for younger and adult readers. Her latest kid's novel, Secret of the Three Treasures, about a schoolgirl who's determined to be a professional adventurer, is available now everywhere. And she has a young adult dark fantasy novel, Bones of Fairy, out from Random House next January. You can find more of her work at Simner.com. Today's story was first published in Bruce Coville's Book of Aliens 2, edited by, I bet you can guess. The story is read for us by my wife, Anna Ely. She's back by popular demand. Many people asked to hear more from her after her role as the voice of Mrs. Tweedlechirp in the Squonk the Dragon stories. She doesn't have a podcast yet, but I'm slowly and subtly working to convince her. I'm sure we'll be a more harmonious family if nobody sleeps. So, please use a number two pencil and write your answers on one side of the paper only. It's story time. Alien Promises by Janie Lee Simner I always dreamed the aliens would come for me, but I never dreamed I would tell anyone about it. Especially not Jenny Bauer. But at the start of sixth grade, Mr. Allen gave us the sort of assignment lots of teachers give. Describe something that happened during our summer vacation. Most kids write about things they did with their friends. But to do that, you have to have friends in the first place. I sat in the back of the room, hair falling into my face, staring at a blank sheet of notebook paper and wondering what to say. I spent much of the summer at my family's beach house, mostly on weekends when my parents had the time off to take me. They said they felt bad leaving me alone at home during the week. Being alone at home wasn't really any different than feeling alone at school, but Mom and Dad didn't understand that. They loved me and they meant well, but they didn't understand lots of things. Mr. Allen walked up behind me and looked over my shoulder. Surely, Courtney, a reader like you has plenty of good ideas, he said. A couple of kids snickered. My cheeks turned hot. I never known why some kids find reading all the time funny, but they do. I grabbed my pen and wrote about the first thing that came to mind. I described a night when I'd been laying out on the beach, listening to the waves and staring up at the stars. As I watched, one star had flared brighter than the rest sped across the sky, and disappeared. I caught my breath, wondering if it could have been more than a star. Had a spaceship landed somewhere? If I walked down the beach, would I find it half buried in the sand? And if I asked in the right way, would the aliens on board take me with them when they left again? Every time I thought about the black expanse of space, about the glittering stars, about strange worlds and strange skies, I knew I wanted to be out there, seeing it all for myself. Besides, it wasn't like any of the other kids would care if I left. That was part of why I wanted to go, too, a large part. I was sure I'd fit in better on some other world. 
As I watched the sky that night, another star had flashed against the darkness, and another. All at once, I remembered what I read in the paper that morning, that the Perseid meteor showers had just begun. I hadn't seen a spaceship at all, just some old rocks burning up as they hit the atmosphere. I was stuck here on Earth, and probably would be forever. Mr. Allen called time just as I finished writing that last part. Now, he said, I want you to trade papers. My stomach dropped down beneath my shoes. I couldn't let anyone see what I'd written. They'll laugh at me. They'll tease me for the rest of my life. I want Courtney's paper, a voice sneered from behind me. I stood and walled around to face Jenny Bauer. Jenny was much shorter than me and thinner, too with blonde hair cut close to her neck and perfectly polished nails. But small as she was, she was one of the few kids in the class who wasn't happy just to laugh at me. She liked to beat me up, too. I've heard guys say that girls don't know how to fight. They must not know Jenny, or maybe they just don't know how sharp long fingernails really are. Jenny knew better than the fight in class, though. Instead, she grinned like a cat about to pounce. She grabbed the paper off my desk and glided across the room without another word. I sank back into my chair. I didn't have a paper in front of me. Jenny hadn't given me anything in return for what she'd taken. I opened my notebook to an empty page, hoping Mr. Allen wouldn't notice. I glanced at Jenny. Her hands gripped the edge of her desk as she read. She wasn't laughing yet, which surprised me. Finally, Mr. Allen told everyone to write down their comments and hand the papers back. I waited, but Jenny never returned my paper. Instead, she cornered me after school. No one was with her. That was strange. Usually, Jenny liked an audience when she beat people up. I tried to duck around her, but she backed me into the monkey bars. I stared at the ground. If I kept looking down, maybe Jenny would just go away. That had happened before. Not often, though. Look at me, Jenny said. You never look at anyone. It's kind of creepy. I looked up. Jenny looked back through sharp blue eyes. Did you mean what you wrote? She asked. Do you really believe there are aliens out there? I swallowed. Sometimes, I admitted. Sometimes I believe it. An expression almost like relief crossed Jenny's face. Me too, she said. What did she mean, her too? Jenny went on. Do you really think the aliens would take someone back with them? I don't know, I said. Jenny was silent for a while. Promise me something, she finally asked. If they ever come for you, promise you'll let me know? Why? I had trouble believing Jenny really wanted to leave. Maybe this was all some sort of joke. Just promise, Jenny said. No. Even if she was serious, Jenny was the last person I wanted following me into space. Jenny took a deep breath. I'll tell you too, if they ever come for me. I wanted to say that if aliens were going to take anyone, it definitely wouldn't be her. But how could I be sure? What if they made a mistake? Going into space with Jenny sounded a whole lot better than not going at all. I glanced at the ground again. Okay, I promise. Jenny looked at me skeptically, as if she suddenly didn't believe my words. Swear on a stack of Bibles, she said. Swear on all those books you're always reading. Swear on your mother's grave. My mother isn't dead. 
Mine is. Her voice turned harsh. Now swear. No matter how old you are when it happens. No matter how far away from here you live. I promise, I said again. What else did she want me to say? I swear. Jenny nodded, finally satisfied. And I promise and swear too. For a moment she smiled. Then she sighed, and her face turned unreadable. It's not like they'll ever come for us anyway. She sounded resigned and incredibly sad. Yeah, I said. For just a second, I understood Jenny perfectly. It's not like they'll ever come. I was wrong. We both were. That June, when I turned 15, I was at my family's summer house again. In three years, some things had changed. My hair was cut short and no longer hid my face. I didn't stare at the ground nearly as much as I used to. Other things hadn't. I still read all the time, and I still wasn't what anyone would call popular. I walked barefoot along the beach, enjoying the gritty sand between my toes, letting the sound of the waves sink into my bones. The year that had just ended, my first year of high school, seemed very far away. About a mile from the house, I reached a spot without any other houses around, where tall sand dunes rose up only a few hundred feet back from the water. I sat down by the dunes and leaned back, inhaling salty air. The morning sun felt warm against my arms. The sky was a deep green blue, the kind you only see near the water. As I watched that sky, a flash of silver sliced through the air, then disappeared. I strained for another glimpse of it, all the while telling myself I was being silly. One thing I began to understand, with all my reading, was just how large the universe was. Whether aliens really existed or not, the odds of them landing here were incredibly small. Then again, if they did exist, they had to land somewhere, right? The silver flashed against the sky again. It grew brighter as I watched, and closer and larger, until all of a sudden I knew I really was seeing a ship. A shining silver ship, so smooth I couldn't quite tell where the hull bent away from the sky. I just stared at it. It was real, I told myself over and over again. It was real. The ship dropped down to the bay and skimmed across the water. It pulled up onto the beach just a few hundred yards from me, gliding onto the sand without a sound. I ran to it. The ship was twice my height and about ten times as long, a cylinder that tapered off at the ends. The silver caught the sun, reflecting bright light into my face. I closed my eyes, then opened them again. I reached out a hand and touched the bright hull. Hot metal burned my fingers. The metal dissolved, leaving an open panel like a door beneath my hand. I looked beyond the opening and saw only darkness. I stepped back, squinting for a better view. And the aliens floated out to meet me, just like I always hoped they would. There were two of them. They hovered briefly above the sand, then settled gently to the ground. They looked much more human than I expected, but their skin was a weird purple-gray color, and they had long, spidery arms that dragged along the ground behind them. As far as I could tell, they didn't have any legs. They looked straight at me, through eyes that were almost the same color as their skin. A quiet, steady voice spoke somewhere inside me. 
Will you come with us? A tremor raced down my spine. I opened my mouth to speak, but my throat felt dry. I took a step toward the ship. Of course I would come. How could they doubt it? One of the aliens floated up to block the opening. Not now, the voice inside me said. Tonight, before the last stars leave the sky. At dawn? I asked. I wondered why we couldn't go now. Were they giving me time to pack or something? Yes, at dawn. The second alien floated up to join the first. They descended silently into the ship, and above them the hold turned solid once more. The ship left as it had come, without a sound. I stared after it. The tremor down my spine spread to the rest of my body. I hugged myself to hold the excitement in. I was going into space. I was leaving Earth and everyone on it behind. I didn't know which of those things meant more. I started toward home. After a few steps, I began to run, then to skip like a little kid. I started laughing and couldn't stop. I kept looking up at the sky. Stars were up there, millions of them, even if I couldn't see them during the day. By tomorrow, I would be out among them. I wondered if anyone would care that I was gone. Probably no one would even understand why I wanted to leave. Except Jenny. As soon as the thought came, I tried to shove it aside. I told myself that a promise made three years ago didn't matter. I told myself that Jenny had probably forgotten by now. I told myself I didn't even like her. Jenny didn't bother me anymore, to be fair. Ever since the day we made that promise, she ignored me completely. Most of the other kids didn't bother me now either. I should have been grateful for that, but in some ways being ignored was just as bad as being laughed at. No matter how old you are when it happens, Jenny had said, no matter how far away you live. One thing about reading a lot is that you learn to take words pretty seriously. I couldn't go into space knowing I'd broken a promise. I wouldn't be worthy to go if I did that. When I got home, I looked up Jenny's number and left a message on her answering machine. I figured she wouldn't pay any attention to it. I went to my room to pack. I waited until my parents fell asleep, then slung my backpack over one shoulder and crawled out the bedroom window. The backpack was filled mostly with books. In the end, I decided they were the only things I really wanted to take with me. I'd written Mom and Dad a note, explaining where I was going, and left it on my bed. I felt guilty not telling them in person, but I knew they wouldn't see why I wanted to leave. They would try to stop me, and I couldn't let them do that. I walked across the front lawn, which was damp with evening dew, and down onto the beach. Dawn was hours away, but I didn't want to take any chances of being late. I started toward the dunes. The water murmured softly beside me. There was no moon, and I hadn't brought a flashlight for fear someone would see me. Eventually, my eyes adjusted to the dark. Up above, the sky held more stars than I ever seen before. Further down the beach, I saw flickering lights. At first, I thought that the lights belonged to the spaceship, that somehow I was late after all. Then I realized they were flashlights. Other people stood out by the dunes. What were they doing there? I heard footsteps behind me. A boy ran past me, little more than a shadow in the darkness. 
Hey, I called after him, but he just kept running toward the lights. I ran after him. After a while, I heard voices, and then all at once I came to the edge of a crowd. By the light of the flashlights, I saw a hundred people, maybe more. Many of them were kids, some older than me, some much younger, but there were plenty of adults, too. I stared numbly out at them, wondering why they were there, worrying that they'll get in the way of the ship. Courtney! Someone stepped out from the crowd and ran to me. Someone who was taller than me now, but still very thin, with long blonde hair that fell down her back. Jenny hadn't ignored my message after all. A guy walked up beside her, a broad-shouldered football player from school. I remembered that his name was Scott, and that sometime during the past year he and Jenny had started dating. Jenny gripped my shoulders. She was still stronger than she looked. Her fingers dug into my back. You didn't forget, she said. What's going on, I asked her. Who are these people? I had a sudden awful thought. Did you call them all? Maybe she was planning to laugh at me again, along with a hundred of her friends. But Jenny didn't laugh, any more than she laughed on the day she read my paper. No, she said. I didn't call everyone. She cast the long, unreadable look at Scott. Just him. Scott looked embarrassed. He dug the toe of his sneaker into the sand. I only told my brother, he said. I had to tell Jake. I promised, back when we were kids. Trouble is, Jenny said, Jake made a promise, too, to his college roommate. And his roommate made a promise to some cousin or other. She glanced at Scott again. I couldn't tell whether she was angry at him or not. It's so weird, Courtney. I was so sure you and I, and later Scott, were the only people crazy enough to want to go. But everyone here made a promise to someone. Everyone? I looked out over the crowd. I couldn't believe this many people wanted to leave. I was supposed to be the only one. As I stood there, feeling some strange emotion I couldn't place, the crowd went abruptly silent. I saw a bright flash like lightning. A silver-blue glow settled over the beach, drowning out the flashlights. I looked up. The ship hung in the night sky like a silver link in some galactic necklace. It slowly descended, straight down, until I could almost reach out and touch it. I kept staring at it. The people on the beach, even Jenny and Scott, seemed very far away. Through the silence, I heard a quiet, steady voice somewhere deep inside me. There are too many, the voice said. There is no room. At first, I didn't quite understand what the words really meant. Then it hit me, and my veins turned to ice. The aliens were thinking of leaving me behind. Don't worry about everyone else. My voice was high, frantic. They're not even supposed to be here. Just take me. I'm the one you came for, right? Yes, you're the one we came for. But you're not the only one who deserves to go. We couldn't take you and leave all the others behind. Why not just me? Why not? My voice rose and cracked. You can't leave me alone here. I swallowed, fighting tears. My vision blurred. I blinked to clear it. As I did, I saw the alien standing in front of me. 
Somehow I knew they were really still on the ship. I saw them the same way I heard them, someplace deep inside. One of them reached out a spidery arm and touched me on top of the head, sort of the way my parents had done when I was younger. You are not alone, the voice within me said. That much should be clear now. I closed my eyes and took a deep breath. Don't leave, I said again. But the vision in front of me wavered. All at once, the aliens were gone. I looked up. The spaceship was slowly rising. For a moment, it flashed brighter than any star. Then it, too, disappeared. I felt suddenly cold. The night was very dark, in spite of all the flashlights. Someone sighed, and then the crowd burst in the conversation. Out of sight, some little kid shouted, Did you see the ship? Beside me, Jenny and Scott spoke more quietly. I turned away from them all and cried, choking sobs that shook my whole body. I felt hollow inside, as if the aliens had taken the best part of me in the space with them leaving an empty shell behind. Someone touched my shoulder. Hey, Scott said. I've seen you around school and all, but I didn't know you were one of us. One of us? I brushed a hot tear from my face. No one had ever called me one of anything before. It sounded strange. Strange and just a little bit comforting. Jenny stepped around in front of me. When you think about it, it's actually kind of neat. Who would have guessed there were so many? One of us. So many of us. One of what, exactly? I looked up at the sky, then turned to stare at the crowd. For just a moment, their flashlights seemed like hundreds of flickering stars. Behind each light was a person. Somebody who had made a promise to somebody else. There were hundreds of promises, from hundreds of people, somehow linking us all. Many years have passed since that night. Even now, sometimes I wake in the dark of early morning, crying because I thought I heard a quiet voice inside me asking, Will you come? And on moonless nights, when I look up at the stars, I still have to swallow back tears. But I feel kind of hopeful when I look at the stars, too. That's because of something else that happened that night, something that's still going on now. Once I stopped crying... I started talking to the other people out there. We were different in a lot of ways, but we all agreed on one thing. We didn't want to stand around waiting for the aliens to come back. I've been reading more books than ever lately. It takes a lot of people to build a spaceship, but lots of people are the one thing we have. War join us all the time. It'll take years, maybe decades, but one day we're going to build that ship. And when it lands, we'll be the aliens. All of us. Together. And that was our story. And, you know, I'm going to stick my neck out for once and try to answer the comments before they happen. I know we're going to get lines about the story being implausible and the unbroken chain of promises or how many people can call each other in one night. I don't care. If you tell me the story doesn't make some kind of sense to you, my first thought would be that it's because you can't remember being 12. I would make that promise. Hell, I would make that promise right now. In an almost literal sense, that's what I've been doing these past few years. 
I suspect more and more that if the aliens came today, we'd hear about it on Twitter before we heard about it anywhere else. And that works because we've already built a culture. We've already built that network from the story, tying people together. If you've ever been a part of any fandom, science fiction or anything else, that's what it is. It's a collective shout that you are not alone. I truly believe that one of the best parts of growing up is the power to choose your community. Whatever our passions are, we all fit somewhere. We can connect with people. We are not alone. So, on that note, here's a promo for a very cool new literary podcast. Once upon a time. No, scratch that. It was a dark and stormy night. Uh, no. It wasn't until I stumbled over its dead body that it reached up and grabbed me. Yeah, I like that. That's a good beginning. Now I need a supernatural sidekick who's good at cracking jokes, a few friends who can explain the do's and don'ts of magic, an evil villain with a maniacal plan, and a modern setting where havoc can ensue and we'll have a hell of an urban fantasy. No, seriously, guys, I'm not advocating a formula, but I am encouraging you to listen to my podcast, Tale Chasing, for writers and readers of urban fantasy. We'll talk about all things demon, angel, vampire, werewolf, ghost, oh hell, we'll just talk about anything supernatural. How to write it, how to critique it, we'll talk to the authors who keep us buying their series, and my own little demented world in which I hammer out my place on the sci-fi fantasy shelf in the bookstore. So come and listen and participate if the mood strikes at tailchasing.com. Tail like a story, not the one on a cute work hat. Okay, so the dead body grabs her and then she... Time for feedback. This time, it's EP 156, Mike Resnick's Slipstream Hugo nominee, Distant Replay, about an old man who inexplicably encounters a young woman who's the exact analog of his dead wife. This was an unusual story for us. There were more positive comments than negative, but it was still somewhat divisive. On the critical side, a lot of people consider the story slow, a yawner, or unoriginal. Howie F., no, I'm not going to read his entire alias on this podcast, wrote... This story was much, much better the first time I heard it, when it was called Dead Again. On the positives, a lot of people were charmed by it, or touched by it, or in Nobilis's case, deeply, deeply moved by it. He left an excellent voicemail, but I'll quote his forum post instead for brevity. Quote, This story is a masterwork. Every time I came to a realization, every time I had an epiphany, Walter had it too, at that very moment. The pacing was spot on. It changed my life, seriously. The combination of masterful words and masterful reading was, in my humble opinion, the best EP ever. Thank you, Nobilis. I'm glad it worked for you. The controversy came in the forums from a point started by Rain and Anarchy, both of whom felt that the elderly Walter was a bit creepy in the way he approached the younger Deidre, and that if they were in her shoes, it would be far too easy to interpret his behavior as stalker behavior. Some were surprised by this, some understood it, but felt that this particular character's manner might have come across differently. This all went into a side spin about the boundaries of perception between flirting and harassment. I offer no opinions, except that it'll be a sad day for me if flirting ever becomes unacceptable. We all need diversions to keep our wits sharp, and I'm terrible at chess. Escape Pod is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated, and is distributed on a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. You can share it with your older or younger selves, but don't try to change the story. Change yourself. All of the rights are reserved by our authors. If you like this week's story, we hope you'll tell a friend or blog about it. 
And if you can, please consider helping us support our authors by donating via the PayPal link at our site. We also invite you to check out our fantasy podcast, Podcastle, at podcastle.org. And if you're over 18, our horror podcast, Pseudopod, at pseudopod.org. Our music is by permission of Daikaiju. You can hear more from them at daikaiju.org. That was our show for this week. Our closing quotation comes from SF writer Kurt Vonnegut, deceased 2007, who said, What should young people do with their lives today? Many things, obviously. But the most daring thing is to create stable communities in which the terrible disease of loneliness can be cured. We'll see you next week. I promise. Until then, have fun.